he was relieved, I would say. He, it was like a weight was lifted off his shoulders. It was um, it was extraordinary to see. It was just he was a different he was a different person. Even when he was told that he was going to uh, be placed under arrest that day, uh, he, he was okay with it. You know, he was just resigned to this is my fate, I guess. And uh, I don't know if he's sorry for what he did, but uh, like I said, he just was a weight off his shoulders for sure. Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of It's Crime Time. I chose to talk about this older case due to the fact that it has recently been brought into the spotlight again after finally being solved. 50 years later, this is the story of the 1975 murder of 8-year-old Gretchen Harrington. Alright everyone, it's crime time. Before I continue this episode, I have to place a disclaimer here that this episode involves violence and sexual abuse upon children, and if this is something that you feel that you cannot handle, please feel free to click away. Gretchen Eleanor Harrington was born on June 13, 1967 in Marble Township, Pennsylvania, to parents Harold Boyd Harrington and Ina Cover Harrington. I apologize for her name pronunciation. She had three sisters, Zoe Harrington, Harriet Ann Harrington Myers, who went by Ann most of the time, and Jessica Harrington. Her father was a pastor who dedicated his life to serving several congregations that were a part of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. It was said that the Harringtons were a very close and loving family. They led pretty happy and quiet lives. They were surrounded by their friends from church, and they just lived in this little suburb that had always been considered to be a very safe area. The suburb was known as Brumall. It was 13 miles outside of the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Children often played outside. They rode their bikes to friends' houses. They walked to nearby shopping centers and stores to pick up their own candy and soda. And this was the 1970s, so times were different. Parents really didn't worry about where their children were because they would just play all day and then they would always come home, you know, before dark or just whatever time their parents told them to come home. And they always, you know, they always listened. I wouldn't say always because you know how kids are, but it was just a safe area and parents didn't really have to worry, they felt like. Gretchen and her two sisters were really no different from the other children who played outside in the 70s. They would play tag, capture the flag, and games outside like that. Um, They would often catch fireflies or lightning bugs, as some people call them, with the neighbor kids, and nothing bad had ever happened to them yet. That would all change on August 15th of 1975. Gretchen had set out for vacation Bible school at just after 9 a.m. Some accounts of this story are kind of conflicting. I have found where some say she was riding her bicycle and others state that she was just walking to Bible school. But if you look at the story as a whole and everything that has been kind of discussed in it and how the crime happened, I would just say that she was just walking herself to Vacation Bible School, not riding a bike. 
Vacation Bible School was being held at Trinity Christian Reformed Church. And this church was only about, I think, three quarters of a mile from the Harrington home. And this is something that Gretchen did often. However, she often wasn't alone. Her sisters were with her. She was with her two sisters, Zoe and Harriet. But on this day, things were different because Gretchen's mother had been bringing home her newborn baby, Jessica. Zoe and Harriet wanted to stay home and wait for the arrival of their new baby sister. So Pastor Harrington, which is Gretchen's father, Harold, encouraged Gretchen to go to Bible school because she had a perfect attendance record. And he knew that that was something, I guess, that was a big deal to her, was to keep her perfect attendance at church. So she decided, you know, I'm going to go. I'll walk alone this time. You know, I don't have my sisters, but it's just a short walk. So she decided to go alone. The Vacation Bible School was at the Trinity Christian Reformed Church, and then it would continue at the Broomall Reformed Presbyterian Church. And that's where Gretchen's father, Harold, had actually been serving as a pastor and since moving his family there in 1968. So later that morning, sometime around 11 a.m., Pastor Harrington learned that his daughter had never made it to her destination of Trinity Church. He spoke with the pastor of Trinity, which was David Zanstra, and his wife, Margie. David then called the police at the request of Pastor Harrington. The Zanstras and the Harringtons knew each other very well. They lived close to each other. Their churches kind of worked with each other as well. And both fathers were pastors. The moms were pastors' wives who were kind of just stay-at-home moms. So they really had a lot of interaction with these families. Gretchen's best friend had actually been one of the Zanstra daughters. So later that day, just before 8 p.m., Gretchen had still not been found. Margie Zanstra brought supper to the Harrington home. When she did so, Ina had seemed to have resigned herself to the fact that she would never see her daughter Gretchen again. According to Philly Magazine, Margie had told them of Ina, quote, she was just kind of accepting of the fact that Gretchen was gone. I don't know whether she was just putting on a brave face. I think she was in shock, end quote. So that was Pastor Zanstra's wife. So at this point, a large-scale investigation was launched in which hundreds of volunteers came to search for Gretchen and police helicopters were used in the search as well. But sadly, the search was called off on Sunday because the researchers never found anything of value in their search efforts in the case. So investigators really had little to go on at this point. The town was kind of in full panic mode because, like I said, it was a very safe suburb and this kind of stuff just didn't happen. So the town was just panicking and they all began hanging flyers around and handing them out with Gretchen's description and the most recent school photo of her on them. Of course, many speculations came about and there were many unanswered questions so far, like had Gretchen just run away? Was she abducted by somebody on her way to Bible school? If so, then who abducted her? Was it someone she knew? You know, obviously, when when things like this happen, all kinds of speculations, rumors fly about. There's so many questions. So the town, like I said, was just in, in this crazy panic because this just didn't happen. Something I found interesting was a quote from Philadelphia Magazine in which one of Gretchen's fellow Bible school classmates explained, quote, A few days after Gretchen disappeared, my mom made me get my hair cut real short so I would look like a boy. She didn't want me to stand out with long hair. I never walked alone anywhere after that, end quote. And this was by Karen Franks Zetterberg. So people were panicking to the point where, I guess, 
the mothers were making their daughters look more boyish, more on, you know, not unattractive, obviously, because whatever, um, short hair doesn't make a person unattractive, but you know, that, that just back in the day, they thought that maybe if they did this to their daughters, they would be less likely to be, I guess, the victim of potential creeps or anybody that would have their attention on their children. The fear and panic in the town was just very real and many feared their young daughters would be abducted too. So another youth that delivered newspapers at the time of Gretchen's disappearance also told Philadelphia Magazine, quote, we were innocent and this absolutely shattered our innocence, end quote. And this was Jim Cristaldi. He was a teenager at this time and of course he was a male, but he was still fearful because he, you know, no one knew, no one knew who did it. No one knew if they were only targeting young girls or all children. Everyone was just in a panic. All the searching produced no useful clues of any kind. August turned into September. Zoe and Anne Harrington returned to Delaware County Christian School. And the other kids at school were kind of weird with them. They didn't really talk to them because no one really knew what to say to them. They, they didn't know what to say to these girls to kind of ease their pain because you really can't. And so people were very awkward with these two girls. I, I feel totally bad for them because um, no one really talked to them, hung out with them. No one knew what to say to them, to comfort them. September eventually became October as Halloween decorations began to adorn the neighborhood houses. There was still nothing. So still no clues into Gretchen's disappearance. Then on October 14th, two months after Gretchen walked up that hill, a jogger in Ridley Creek State Park, which was about 20 minutes from Gretchen's home, stumbled on skeletonized human remains. At first, he wasn't sure what he had found till he saw what was clearly a human fingernail. He ran to fetch a park ranger, and of course, the park ranger then phoned the police. Gretchen's parents confirmed that the distinctive clothing found at the remains was hers. Nina made the girls' wardrobes by hand, so they were very distinct. She made her children's own clothes, so she knew that was something she had um, sewn for Gretchen. The medical examiner positively identified the body as Gretchen's using dental records and the manner of death was homicide. The cause, someone had fractured her skull with multiple vicious blows. Police suspected sexual assault, though the autopsy revealed no evidence of that. Sunday after Gretchen had been found, her father delivered a sermon at his church that has been said to be absolutely heart-wrenching. Quote, Gretchen, with her simple faith in Christ is free. But her murderer is in terrible bondage. The world is filled with unspeakable evil because of the wickedness of the human who knows the truth but will not accept it. End quote. And this sermon is kind of an obvious one if you break it down. He's basically saying that her murderer is in bondage and they know what they did, but they won't accept their, you know, the truth of what they've done. They won't come forward. So they're going to have to wrestle with the fact that they did something terrible and they haven't come forward. The odd thing about when her body was found was that she was wearing blue canvas sneakers, white cotton underwear, a white and blue shirt, denim shorts, and green stockings. But yet she had not been wearing her shorts when found. So she had denim shorts, but she wasn't wearing her shorts, which is why it was believed at the time that she had been sexually assaulted. Throughout the months after her disappearance and finding camp, teachers, students, and parents were interviewed by the police. So basically everyone in the community, um, the church community, 
where no guards would have had interaction with, with these people. They they were all interviewed. Apparently a green station wagon or some kind of green Cadillac with a light top and dark bottom was seen near the Trinity Church, which had stopped so the driver could talk to a girl. A woman by the name of Sharon Smith mentioned seeing the suspicious car on the morning of Gretchen's disappearance. And the creepy part about this is, at this time, Zanstra drove an AMC Rambler station wagon, but his car was never looked into. Trinity's normal Bible school routine had been broken this day due to everyone staying at the church 45 to 50 minutes longer than usual, and a child had been observed running from a white male down the street. So kind of all of the times on this day, the schedule was mixed up. Things were weird. There was witnesses that saw this a green station wagon talking to a child. Somebody observed a child kind of trying to run away from this white male. There were so many weird things that came forward during this time. Even before Gretchen's body was found, missing shorts had been found on August 19th on a fence post in Westchester. But it turned out the shorts were not Gretchen's. So that's kind of odd. Um, Pastor Zanstra had been called in to speak to police because whenever Harold Harrington, which is Gretchen's father, had asked him, can you please phone the police about my daughter missing? Zantra provided a really detailed description of what Gretchen was wearing, particularly the shorts she had been wearing. They kind of thought that was odd and a little creepy, so they called him in for an interview. But he kind of said, basically, I never got to see her because she never made it to my Bible school that morning. She must have been abducted, you know, before she got to his school is kind of what he was saying. I never saw her. Then he was called back in for another interview on October 30th to be questioned in further detail about the events of August 15th. He told police he started to pick up children for the opening session of Bible school at 9, 10 a.m. And when he was finished with picking them up, he arrived back at Trinity Chapel by 9.30 a.m. He denied ever seeing Gretchen and told police he was unaware she was ever missing until he was called to the Reformed Church at 11.05 a.m. by Gretchen's father, Harold. So shortly after this interview, the Zanstras kind of got away from everything and they moved to Texas shortly after these interviews to Plano, Texas. Witnesses had been coming forward with various descriptions of men they had seen in the area that morning and some tips seemed promising. Others kind of seemed like dead ends, but ultimately and eventually all of them were dead ends. Investigators had even looked into potential suspects, including the sex offenders in the area, but none of them checked out as being Gretchen's abductor. And this is the hard part for me. I've done so much research into this, but I've really been unable to locate what else police kind of did in the 50 years since her murder, including kind of what suspects were on their radar, any leads or developments they got, and any further tips received until recently. So I had a really hard time finding anything from when it happened to now other than the like the initial investigation and their you know initial interviews and interviews with sex offenders and things of that nature i found it very difficult to locate any more information so another interview and the interview that was deemed as being the interview that finally drew attention back to zanstra came from a woman whose name has not been released and this, I guess, interview occurred in the beginning of 2023. So the beginning of this year, I believe it was January. And this person was referred to as C1, which is child one on a CW news station out of Philly. I'm assuming anyway, it could be 
I know the C could mean a variety of things, but that's what they were referred to. So when this one was a child, she was a friend of Zanstra's children, Mara and Kristen, and they would have playdates and sleepovers at their house. C1 told police that when she was just 10 years old, she remembers Zanstra touching her groin area in the middle of the night during two sleepovers. C1 then told Zanstra's daughter Mara about what had been happening. And Mara told C1 that this occasionally happened. And sometimes she heard her sister crying in the middle of the night. So uh, according to this C1, she was very close friends with Zanstra's daughters. And when she went to tell his daughters, hey, you know, your dad kind of came in the room and touched me, they kind of shrugged it off as, oh yeah, this, this is a thing that happens. Um, and that's, that's disgusting. I mean, that is vile to touch kids to begin with, but he's touching his daughters and now he's just creeping in and doing it to their friends. So C1 told her parents about Zanstra touching her and his own children. And the only thing that really occurred was that C1 was never allowed to sleep over at their house again. This bothers me that C1's parents never reported Zanstra, but I understand because this was the seventies and in certain religious denominations, questioning or reporting a male with high church authority was highly frowned upon and it created kind of a sense of guilt and shame and that that would have been put on the accuser. So C1's parents, if they would have turned Zanstra in, he was a, obviously a pastor, so he was like the highest, you know, in the church, the highest church authority. The congregation would kind of guilt them and shame them and treat them differently you know like how dare you accuse our pastor of being you know a, a pervert a molester things of that nature so i think that they were just afraid to turn him in because they might have felt like the church would disown them or if his answer wasn't convicted you know some bad repercussions could happen there so they had never turned him in Investigators did locate a diary written by C1 way back 50 years ago at the time that this occurred. She had an entry that noted that a man tried to kidnap her friend Holly twice. In her diary, she noted that she thinks the man who tried to kidnap her friend and the man who kidnapped Gretchen was Mr. Z. And that's how she referred to Zanstra. Detectives went to confront Zanstra, who had actually retired to Georgia since being ordained in 1965, he had worked in several churches in the country, including Fairfield in San Diego, California, Dallas, Texas, and eventually New Jersey and Georgia and, of course, Pennsylvania. Zantra confessed that he actually gave Gretchen a ride in his green station wagon while she was on her way to his Bible camp. He brought her to a secluded spot and he told her to take off her clothes, particularly her shorts. She refused to do so, and then he beat her to death. And then he just drove back to the church for his Bible camp and it, like nothing ever happened. So that's the messed up part to me because people definitely saw the station wagon. They totally brought those tips up, the green station wagon. And it's like, hello, the pastor of the Bible camp that Gretchen was walking to drives a green station wagon, but no one ever investigated it or anything of that nature. So definitely, I believe they dropped the ball on that one, but I'm not sure. I mean, even police might've had, you know, some kind of hard time with confronting a pastor at the time, but they're human. It, to me, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your position is. You're always capable of doing something disgusting. So, but no one looked into him really. I mean, they did interview him twice because obviously they thought something was creepy about him. Something was off, but 
they let him go and then he moved. So now he has been charged with criminal homicide, first, second, and third degree murder, kidnapping of a minor, and the possession of an instrument of crime. And this was in July of 2023. So just in July, he was he received his charges. He was then extradited to Delaware County in Pennsylvania by the prosecutors. And this was led by Delaware County District Attorney Jack Stolzheimer. Prosecutors lobbied help from Governor Josh Shapiro's office to try to bring Zanstra back to Pennsylvania from Georgia. Delco District Attorney Jack Stolzheimer told journalists, quote, David Zanstra is a monster. He is every parent's worst nightmare. He killed this poor eight-year-old girl he knew and who trusted him and then acted as if he was a family friend, not only during her burial and the period after that, but for years, end quote. Gretchen's family told the New York Post, quote, it's difficult to express the emotions that we are feeling as we take one step closer to justice. Gretchen was only eight years old when she was suddenly taken away from us on her way to church on Friday, August 15th, 1975. If you met Gretchen, you were instantly her friend. She exuded kindness to all and was sweet and gentle, end quote. Here's the deal about this case. I promise you that you will be lost in a serious rabbit hole if you look up Zantra or Gretchen Harrington especially on any websites like web sleuths because he had spent so much time in many states and there are cases of missing and murdered girls pretty much near every place that zanstra had lived or every church he was a, a pastor at and these cases have yet to be solved and there are so many people who were looking into these cases online like there's so many people that are just coming forward you know with with these missing girls in the area when zanstra was living there and they're kind of bringing forward all of these cases that could be related to him. So he is being investigated actually right now for other crimes. Investigators in other jurisdictions are also looking for Zanstra's potential involvement in other unsolved murders. According to Stolzheimer, police are now investigating whether Zanstra may be connected to the 1991 disappearance of four-year-old Nikki Campbell in Fairfield, California. Her name is listed as Amanda Campbell in some places. So not sure if her name was Amanda Nicole Campbell, but she was four years old from Fairfield, California, and she went missing. A user on Web Sleuths also wrote a post detailing other crimes he may be related to, and this is what took me down a rabbit hole because I was shocked. Like, wow, they really line up with Zanstra and where he was living and totally what he would do. So Nikki Campbell or Amanda Campbell was last seen riding her bicycle in Fairfield, California on December 27th of 1991. She still remains missing, and Zanstra was a pastor at Fairfield Christian Reform School in 1991, and of course he was living in the area at the time. He moved from Texas in 1983 to San Diego, California, and he was there until 1990, and then I think is when he went to Fairfield. Shariti Angelique Carines, I can't even say her name, I'm so sorry, was seven. She was abducted while walking home from a friend's house at 4 o'clock p.m. on August 5th. 1988 from Pacific Beach in San Diego. A witness later came forward and said they saw a white van following Shariti as she walked home. Her remains were found in the San Timoteo Canyon near Beaumont, California in June 1989. This was 120 miles from where she was taken from. Another one was Leticia Hernandez, known as Tita. She was seven. She was abducted while she was playing in the front yard of her, apart or her apartment on Bush Street in Oceanside, California at 5 o'clock p.m. on December 16, 1989. 
Children in the area later reported that a man driving a blue two-tone four-door Cadillac offered several of them $50 to get into his vehicle. Letitia's skull was found near the Pala Indian Reservation, 26 miles away from her home on March 9th of 1991. And of course, her case is still unsolved. Like Amanda Campbell and Gretchen Harrington, Shariti was walking alone. She was walking in the general area of her home after playing with friends. So I guess what the user is saying is David Zanstra admitted to inviting Gretchen into his vehicle before he killed her in 1975. So this made the user think of the strange unidentified man offering children money to get into his car near Letitia's home on the day of her presumed abduction. So this is kind of why they brought up him and Letitia's disappearance. He was in the San Diego area during the time that the two young girls both disappeared. And then there's another girl, Wendy Eaton, who was quite a bit older than Gretchen. She was 15. She was only four foot 10. And so she may have seemed a lot younger to her abductor at the time. Wendy went missing on May 17th, 1975 in Media, Pennsylvania, three months before Gretchen was murdered. And it was a 10 minute drive from where Gretchen's body was recovered. According to her missing persons case file, she was going to a singing rehearsal at her local church on the evening she disappeared. There is another one, Shaylee Phillips from El Cajon, which is not too far from where Zanstra's church happened to be located in San Diego. Shaylee went missing on February 12th, 1988. While there are a few details about this, it's known that she was going to visit friends. Shaylee seems to have been vulnerable considering that she found kind of, the user found little about her. And then another girl they brought up was Amanda Rivera. Amanda was 14 when she went missing on October 5th of 1990. She was also a teenager like Wendy. She was pretty short. She was just five feet even. Amanda was last seen in Noble Street and Spring Valley. And this is where they think Zanstra lived. So three young girls who were older than Gretchen, but went missing in relative proximity to Zanstra's home. So there is a lot that totally could be attributed to him. And I really hope, I hope, you know, that something comes forward. If you get the chance to look into this, I promise you that you will get very angry at this case. You'll get angry at this disgusting guy and sad at just all of the missing children who happened to vanish in his areas at the time. And of course, even if he didn't do it, just learning about children vanishing and things of that nature always gets me, it's really sad. And it's even worse that the families haven't gotten justice. They haven't found out who took their children, you know, what happened to them. Some of them, the bodies haven't even been found. And I am hopeful that Zanstra will receive his much deserved justice. And I hope that if he committed any more crimes, that this is brought to light. He is now 83 years old and he will hopefully have a terrible time in prison before he dies because he has lived see this is what's unfair about it he has lived an entire long you know 50 years with friends and family Bob Gretchen and maybe some other girls lives were completely cut short so this sick man just I don't even want to call him a man he's definitely not a man for doing that but other girls lives were cut short and he's just living this life like it never happened and that's always the disgusting thing about it so he will be getting you know the justice he deserves soon for Gretchen and like I said I just hope that if if there's any others that it's brought to light as well all right everyone that concludes this episode of it's crime time if you would 
If you'd like to, please consider subscribing and providing a rating or review on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and until next time.